Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. everybody and welcome to episode 156 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. I'm joined by the elusive, the infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start. Um, we're going to start at the a place actually called the Hangar, which is usually a uh, like like a place where a aeroplane would hang out, kind of thing. But no, not this one. It, it was in Costa Mesa in California, USA. Um, couple fights to mention. No, just the one. It actually took place last Thursday, the fourth of October. One fight that kind of went under the radar. Oscar Negrete, eighteen and one. He took on a prospect called Joshua Franco, fourteen and one. It ended up being a split draw over ten rounds. This one was for the NABF bantamweight title. Uh, Joshua Franco, a product of the Garcia Boxing Gym, um, the Robert Garcia Boxing Gym, I should say. But yeah, Joshua Franco, a real stiff test for him here, and a lot. Of people felt that he actually should have got the verdict so um yeah very close fight that one a split draw over 10 rounds joshua franco 14 and 1 with one draw oscar negrete 18 and 1 with one draw a rematch would be quite nice moving over now though to the titanic exhibition center in belfast northern ireland united kingdom couple fights to mention over here we had um Stephen Ward picked up win number nine. His record nine and oh, it was a disqualification in the ninth round. His opponent Rolando Paredes um, was disqualified for repeated headbutts. Tyrone McCulloch moved to twelve and oh. He also picked up the vacant WBO European Super Bantamweight title. He took the O of Josh Kennedy unanimously over ten rounds. Two guys there, both eleven and oh, going in. I like the way that MTK have been matching their guys lately, and also the the top of the bill here, Marco McCulloch. Culloch, 20-4. He fought for the vacant IBO International Super Featherweight title against Rudy Encarnacion. Now, um... Encarnacion was given a count in the 8th round after touching down and McCulloch actually went down himself in the ninth round um, a, a right hand I believe it was so a unanimous decision after 10 rounds there for Marco McCulloch certainly a real stiff test for him and he denied Encarnacion of picking up his 40th win there so Marco McCulloch now um, 20 and sorry 21 and 4 uh, moving over now to the Metro Dome in Barnsley, Yorkshire, United Kingdom. A little shout out here to Robbie Barrett, the former British champion. He moved to 17 and 3 with one draw. He also picked up the vacant IBF European lightweight title. Not a bad strap to pick up there. He defeated Matty Fagan over 10 rounds unanimously. Fagan was also down in the 8th round. His record now 12 and 4. Moving over now to the Sao Leo Lengrange. Um I'm not quite sure that that is how you say it, seeing as this venue is in France. But um, we have we have Vincent Legrand. This was a guy that was set to take on Andrew Selby once upon a time for the EBU title. I'm not quite sure what happened there. I believe Andrew Selby will be back in the ring in a couple of weeks' time. But um, Vincent Legrand moved to 28-0, and 0, a first-round KO against a guy called Kvicha Gigulashvili. 
that is a name there. His record now 18 and 30, very much overmatched. Moving over now to the Gasmart Stadium in Tijuana, Mexico. One fight to mention here, really. Former um, former world champion Luis Neri, he picked up win number 27. His record now 27 and 0. It was for the vacant WBC silver bantamweight title. He TKO'd Jason Canoy, who's now 27 and 9 with two draws. Canoy was down in the first round and the third round, so a TKO in round three there for Lewis Neary. Um, moving over now to the Impact Arena in Cret, Thailand. Wissaxel Wangek, he moved to 47 wins. He's got four losses and one draw. This one was a defense of his WBC World Super Flyweight title. He beat unanimously over 12 rounds. Iran Diaz, his record now 14 and 3 with three draws. Like I say on paper, it would seem he was very overmatched there, but he did survive and go the entire distance without touching down. So credit to Iran Diaz. Moving over now though to the Leicester Arena in Leicester United Kingdom. This fight um, card was actually the one that I was looking forward to most I believe um, last week. I was really really excited for this for this card here. Um, let's start with the undercard. Ryan Hatton moved to 4-0. A points win over four rounds against Prism Slaw Benyinda. Mark Heffron picked up win number 21. He's got 21 wins out of 21. So a TKO in four rounds against R.E. Aiti. Um, Daniel Dubois, he picked up win number nine, actually. A points win over ten rounds. The first time he's gone the distance, let alone ten rounds. Kevin Johnson, the kingpin in the other corner, 32 and 10. Now 32 and 11 with one draw. Um... Very much one-way traffic the whole fight, really, but you have to say it was quite shocking. I mean, we really thought that Dubois was going to get another knockout here, so much so that I didn't even go to the prediction leagues on that fight because I thought that it was really, you know, it was already written in the stars kind of thing. Um, were you quite surprised, I as to see Daniel Dubois get took the distance against a very tricky and crafty but very old veteran, if you like, Mr. Kevin Kingpin-Johnson? Yeah, I was I was I was quite surprised when Daniel Dubois went to points with Kevin King Ben Johnson. But to be fair, he's a twenty one year old fighter. He's young, he's still learning, so I think it'll be I think he's gonna have more knockouts coming his, his way soon. Yeah, I think after the fight, Kevin Johnson said that he doesn't hit as hard as what he expected him to. So that that could take the uh, the wind out of his sails a little bit there. A lot of people very high on Dubois. Um, you know, it could have been an off night. I mean, he, he won everything. I think there was an argument for a few 10-8 rounds, especially the first round. I mean, Johnson threw one one punch that whole round, literally one punch. Um, I was very surprised that Dubois didn't get him out of there in that first round. I mean, as soon as that first round ended, I thought, you know what? The referee's got to intervene here because he threw one punch. He took loads of shots, but he has got a fantastic chin. Um, the next couple of rounds, I felt that Johnson still wasn't really throwing much. He obviously, like I say, he's got that great chin. He's got a good defense as well, but he was he was just getting battered by Dubois, and I really couldn't believe how much punishment he was taking. And, he, you know, he didn't really look wobbly or anything at any point, really. Dubois was made to think a little bit in there, I guess, and he yeah, it was a good learning fight for him. In the sixth round, Johnson did land one or two good shots himself. In the seventh round, Johnson pretty much did the same there. Um, I felt that the lead left hook was working for Dubois any time he threw it. Um, but yeah, it was quite a poor fight, really. I don't know who to blame for that, really. I'm not sure if Dubois was just... I don't know. You can't really blame Dubois because he was trying. He was really trying. He threw millions of shots. And Johnson... I think he's too old to kind of keep up with the pace of these young guys. So he 
you can't really blame him for being on the defensive. Maybe a little bit too defensive, but both men did what they had to do, and you know the fight ended up going the full ten rounds. So a little bit lacklustre in terms of expectations, and it kind of set off a chain effect, a domino effect, if you like, of 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 um of fights going the distance. I mean that one went the distance. I think it was three or four fights in a row on that BT card that went the distance. But that's the first one out of the way. Uh moving up the bill once again we had Nicola Adams. She went the distance against Isabel Milan. Um her record now five and oh she's the new interim WBO world female flyweight champion. Isabel Milan, um a former world title challenger, twenty two and five with one draw now. To be honest, she put up quite a good fight, the girl. Um she was overmatched, obviously. I mean, Nicola Adams is brilliant, but the girl actually did come and give it a go, and she she had what looked like quite decent power in her hands, and she just went for it. So all credit to her, but it just wasn't good enough on the night, and I felt that Nicola Adams won it quite clearly in my eyes. Um, also, we had Sam Bowen. He was the only guy that fought on the entire televised bill that got a knockout. It was a fourth-round KO. Sam Bowen now 14-0. and 0. Uh, This one was for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Super Featherweight title. The belt was only on the line for Bowen because his opponent weighed in just above the limit. Um, I think it was just like half a pound over, but that didn't matter at all. He wasn't ever going to win the fight, I don't feel. And the other guy's name, Horatio Cabrera, he picked up a uh, well another loss here really like I say got KO'd in the fourth round his record now 21-3 and three. Um, moving up the bill once again Jack Catterall 22-0 he took on O'Hara Davies 18-1 it was for the WBO Intercontinental Super Lightweight title that belt of course was Catterall's and it's still Catterall's a unanimous decision over 12 rounds Iaz. not the fight we all expected but again you can't really blame the promoter for that I mean who knew it was going to turn out like that it reminded me a little bit of the Askin and Akoli fight it wasn't as bad as that of course but you know it was it was just a reminder of a fight that looks brilliant on paper but when it when it actually happened it really wasn't such a great thing to watch um, you're right about that 100% obviously but I mean well done to Jack Catterall obviously I thought personally, um, obviously, um, we all knew that I thought it was 50-55. I thought that Jack Catterall was going to win, obviously. Um, he did very good. Ara Davis, um, I don't know where he goes from here, though, to be fair. He's lost to Josh Taylor. He loses to Jack Catterall. Where does he go from here? Um, that's why I'm really confused. But, I mean, well done to Jack Catterall. He's got big fe- things. Fe- uh, he's got a big future ahead of him with BT Sport. They said that he's the face of BT Sport Boxing. Well, he certainly is one of them. Um, Ayaz, you actually went last week with O'Hara Davies to win on points, just looking at the predictions here. Did you change, like, after the show, or...? Yes, I changed after the show. I mean, because I was looking a bit at the... Um, I was looking at a bit of his interviews and that, and I thought, yeah, he, I was looking at Jack Catter, and I thought, yeah, I think he might do it. Well, unlucky for you to not change it, because I actually had Catterall... Um, to win on points. I said that on last week's show, so I got a point there. Like I say, you went with Davies to win on points, and the listeners actually went with Catterall to win by knockout, so I gained a point there. Um, yeah, going back to the fight, though, I mean, from what I saw, there was a lot of you know a lot of close rounds in there. A lot of people forget that, and when you actually look at some of the scorecards, I think that they didn't really project the fight that it was. Um, I felt that the first four rounds were all quite close, really. Both men were trying to, um, you know 
pull off quite clever moves, but both men were evading shots really well. I felt that Catterall was the much cuter boxer, but O'Hara was persistent with his attacks. It was cagey, but it wasn't cagey at the same time. Uh, the fifth round was quite clearly a Catterall round and was probably the clearest round through that first five rounds. Like I say, the first four were very close. Jack's double jab, obviously, from that left-hand stance was working really well. He was doing the double jab accompanied by... Um, by his quick feet so he was able to kind of move the angles and switch the angles up that was working really well both men respected each other's power it would seem um, which I was quite surprised I think that O'Hara was quite weary of Jack's power whereas I thought that Jack would be more wary of O'Hara's power but it seemed like both men had mutual respect for each other's power um, lots of standing on the other man's feet we saw that a lot O'Hara I didn't really felt let the backhand go enough I think that we can all say that after the fight but I saw that during the fight I thought he really does need to let that right hand go especially as that was his danger shot you know, we know he can crack with that right hand. And he was pouring with his jab a lot. I think Barry Jones picked up on that on the commentary. He was really pouring with his jab, O'Hara. Um, like I say, lots and lots of close rounds. I think a major part of the fight was spent with both men just jabbing. And Catterall was happy, I felt, to have a battle of the jabs with O'Hara because we all kind of know that Catterall is the superior boxer. So for him to just sit there jabbing with O'Hara, it's pretty much his game. I mean, there's only one winner when it comes down to that, even though O'Hara's got, you know, a bit of a crazy reach on him. Um, very boring fight once again, like I say, and with that that one there and the Dubois fight and then the Nicola Adams fight, it, it was either two or three fights that went the distance, and, yeah, it, it just wasn't too pretty. Um... Two judges had it seven rounds to five, so that was quite close. I think that might have been a tiny bit too close. I felt that Catterall definitely won the fight um, simply because he won the more clearer rounds, even though the you know the, the the close rounds, like I say, could have really gone either way. But one judge had it ten rounds to two, which I thought was a little bit out of order, to be honest. Um, the less said, the better on that fight, though. But now, talking about the fight of the night on this card, certainly, we had Leon Woodstock, 11-0. and 0. He put his WBO European Super Featherweight title on the line against Archie Sharp, 13-0. and 0. Um, This one was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds in favor of Archie Sharp. He's now 14-0. and 0. Leon Woodstock loses his O in his backyard of Leicester, and Woodstock himself was down in the first round. The fight itself, very, very technical fight. Fight. I felt that um, in the first round, Sharp was winning it with his clever boxing skills. He was getting in and out, and then down goes Leon Woodstock, pretty much out of nowhere. He actually um, he actually got put down with an Archie Sharp jab. So a nice 10-8 round there for Archie. In the second round, we saw beautiful boxing from Archie Sharp. He didn't keep his hands up enough. I felt. I think that he was winning the round, but both men landed good shots in that round. The footwork from Sharp was excellent. So I actually gave the second round to him also. In the third round. I felt that Leon did really well to get back into the fight. It was an extremely close round. It was hard to see who had the edge in power because I think we've all heard about Leon's power, but Sharp can dig himself, and not a lot of people know that. Uh, to be fair, both men, when you look at their resumes, they hadn't really knocked out anyone of note. Um, I've said this for, for a long, long time. I've said to anyone that will listen to me, Archie Sharp is a quality fighter. The first time I ever see him fight, I think it was on a Thursday night in York Hall, and he was on the undercard of an untelevised bill. And I remember watching him and thinking, look, there's just something special about him. And, you know, he probably had about six or maybe not even six fights. I think probably about three or four fights at the time. And um, I'd never heard of him. I saw him come out in pink shorts, and I thought, 
let me see what this guy's all about. And he really, really impressed me. And I've been saying it forever. He is a quality fighter. He can do so much. But unfortunately, he hasn't been on the TV to prove it. A lot of his fights have been kept off TV. So no one really knows how good he is unless you've been to watch him. Hence the fact he was a huge underdog in the bookies. Um, so yeah, he kind of proved me right because I knew how good he was. I backed him to win on points. I, as I think you took my word for it and went with me as well. So we both gained a point. But the listeners went with Leon Woodstock to win by knockout, which didn't look like it had happened at any point of the fight. But back to my analysis. So we both gained a point there, I as. In the fourth round, like I say, Leon was starting to um, get a little bit closer he was starting to get through with his hooks now both his left and right hooks um, he started the round really well Archie in the latter part of the round started going to work on Woodstock also it was probably a sharp round but a very close a very close round to be honest the fifth round and you know once again a very close round Leon started well but Archie finished well um, I felt that Sharp probably just about nicked it in the sixth round Leon came out firing straight away um, Sharp took a few good shots but once again Sharp improved over the course of the round and definitely finished the stronger of the two I felt that was another Archie Sharp round he was kind of running away with it a little bit on my scorecard um, like I say three rounds in a row there where Leon would start really good but Archie would finish really good and a lot of the time the judges remember how the round finished rather than what went on in the you know in the first half of the round and that's just the way it is sometimes in the seventh round I felt it was a punch perfect round for Sharp although he did sustain a little nick on his right eye beautiful boxing from him another round for him in in round eight it was probably one of Sharp's best rounds very very surprised to see him looking that fresh at that part into the fight Leon had actually gone 10 rounds before Archie had only gone eight rounds at the maximum and he looked very strong he he looked very fit and and the stronger and fitter actually of the pair in that uh, that eighth round and going into the ninth round a brilliant brilliant round unbelievable action both men were blooded both men were tired very gruel in the fight was becoming excellent action Archie was teeing off on Leon in the last minute of the round but Woodstock proved he's a very very tough guy he was battered he was bruised and we just saw unbelievable levels from Sharp. I felt he won that round once again. And then to finish the fight and to cap off what had been an excellent, excellent fight in the 10th round, it was just an unbelievable round. Very hard round to score. I think Leon gave it his all and almost was out on his feet in the last minute. Um, so tough. He really is. Woodstock is a tough, tough, tough guy and he certainly can come again. Sharp, I felt, finished stronger but Leon put in some real work. Um, Archie took some hard shots. Both men have got real, real chins, I felt. And I actually gave the last round to Woodstock but many disagreed. Um, Frampton, after the fight, Carl Frampton actually gave Leon Woodstock one round after the whole ten. I think I gave Woodstock, I think, two rounds, maybe three. Um, I believe my scorecard was 98-91. I can't really remember how I scored it. Um, I've kind of just been saying it as I've gone along so maybe if, if you rewind it, if you care much about my scorecard, then that'll clear things up. But yeah, um, so so for that for that bunch of predictions there, I gained a point for, um, for Catterall and I also gained a point there for Sharp. Um, I, as you, gained a point for Sharp, but you didn't gain a point for the Catterall fight and the listeners they went with Catterall by knockout and Woodstock by knockout so no points gained for them there and I'm going to talk about the prediction scores at the end of the show which I'm excited I've got a bit of an announcement actually about my score which which um, has come a long long way from being um, from being behind so long but now moving over to the Wintrust Arena in Chicago Illinois USA I as um 
heartbreak really for Gavin McDonnell and Callum Johnson. Let's start with the Gavin McDonnell fight. Daniel Roman, the champion, 25-2 and two with one draw. He successfully defended his WBA World Super Bantamweight title. In the other corner, Gavin McDonnell, 20-1 and one with two draws. A man that, you know got into boxing, really, because he saw Jamie, I think, win the European title in France one time. He went over there and travelled to France with him, and he said, you know what, bruv, if you can do this, I can do it. And everyone laughed at Gavin, and they said, you couldn't become a champion. And he's turned to, you know, to a champion. He's won every belt that's been put in front of him, pretty much. He become a a British champion, I believe English champion, but that doesn't really matter. He become British champion, he become European champion, and his one loss going into this fight was at world title level for the WBC title against Ray Vargas, a humongous super bantamweight. And that was on points, by the way. Um, So here he got in against Daniel Roman, who's not a big puncher. Gavin McDonald, not a big puncher himself. It had 12 rounds written all over it, but it wasn't to be for Gavin. Like I say, I has heartbreak for him. Gavin gets knocked out, a TKO in the 10th round. Unfortunately, I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't see that one? Okay. Um, well, the fight itself, I mean, I, I didn't really pay too much attention to the first kind of six rounds, but from what I gathered, apparently Gavin lost all six of them. I was hoping that you could fill that gap in, I as actually, but I started watching properly from the seventh round, which Dave Caldwell felt that Gavin won. Um, but it, it was a very close round, though. In the eighth round, um, McDonald boxed excellently. He was making Roman miss. He was making him pay. He was brilliant. Um, I think it was in the round after that, he once again, I felt, won that round. McDonald suddenly started to find some um, some success, really, and he was fighting much better. And me watching, I was giving him some luck because as soon as I tuned in, he really started to up his game. And um, But like I say, unfortunately, in that 10th round, Roman out of nowhere landed a great shot which hurt McDonald, and then he just steamed in and ended up dropping McDonald. McDonald did get up and then he took a knee just to gather a few extra seconds for recovery, but when he got back up at 8, the referee didn't let him continue. A little a little bit of me kind of thought it was a little bit premature. Some people online agreeing with that. Um, it was a shame because Gavin had started to turn the fight around. I think he'd won probably three rounds in a row, um, certainly in the eyes of Dave Caldwell. I think it was three or four rounds in a row. He was starting to turn the fight around, and it all just ended so quickly. He was even winning the round that he got knocked out in, so I was absolutely gutted for him. He is truly one of the nicest men in boxing. I'm not quite sure what he does from here in terms of world level. You know, he's he's put he's put some excellent wins in recently on the domestic scene, defeating Stuart Hall, defeating Gamal Yafai. Two real hard fights on paper that he come through pretty easily. Um, Roman is obviously a big step up from those guys, but when you actually look at the other world champions at super bantamweight, there's Isaac Dogbay, no thank you. There's Ray Vargas, he's been in with him before, and then there's T.J. Doheny, um, the guy that recently won on the road in Japan. I don't really know how good he is. But but I can't really see a way in for Gavin McDonnell unless he'd fight someone like Doheny. Um, so it's a very bad place for Gavin McDonnell. Like I say, he's won the European title. I think he really just wants to become a world champion. So um, not quite sure where he goes. It's a very tough division at the moment to pick up a, a world title. Um, all the very best to him, though, whatever he does decide to do. I, f- I don't think it's the end of the road. And like I say, to just get into boxing simply to prove a point and to only have two losses, and both of those losses have been to world champions, there's no shame in that whatsoever. We are big fans of Gavin McDonald, and that is the way it shall remain. Moving down the undercard, Artur Baturbiev, 12-0, put his IBF World Light Heavyweight title on the line against Callum Johnson, 
17-0 with 12 knockouts. So both men, 12 knockouts. We all expected a knockout, and it did come. But there was a few ups and downs, actually. Um, the fight itself, I mean... Johnson was on the front foot straight away. He did not show any respect whatsoever to Baturbiev. He was doing well in the early part of that first round. And then when the pair were exchanging, I felt that Baturbiev was was probably getting the better of the exchanges. And then with about 20 seconds left in the round, Callum Johnson actually had his head through the ropes. And the referee shouted stop. But Baturbiev landed a flush right hand on Johnson, who wasn't defending himself. And down went Johnson. Um, a bit unfair to be honest, but obviously the old rule is protect yourself at all times, but a harsh way to lose a 10-8 round, but let's be honest, no one really saw that fight go in the distance, but it was just a shame that he had to take a big shot like that in the very first round. Um, so a little bit of a nightmare start, a little bit of a nightmare finish to the round, because he actually did okay in that first round. Like I say, from the from the start of the fight, he went straight on the front foot. He was pushing the champion back, and he just showed balls of steel. He really, really did. Um, he's got he's got something about him, Callum Johnson. He's got something special about him. He's really got genuine willpower and belief and motivation. He really does. And in the second round, unbelievable. Baturbiev actually had Johnson in some trouble, and he was kind of you know, trying to trying to get him out of there. And as he was unloading, the pair exchanged left hooks, but Johnson got there first, and he dropped Baturbiev. Unbelievable. Baturbiev, when he got back up, he was visibly shaken. He recovered very quickly, but momentarily, he looked all over the place. His legs were all like jelly, and it was a 10-8 round the other way. So that was incredible. Johnson didn't jump on him, though. And in the aftermath, a lot of people saying he should have. And of course, it's easy to say that. But I think he was being patient, and he wasn't trying to rush his work at that point. Um, we were unsure at that very moment if it was going to pay off or not but I think that Johnson's a smart fighter and let's be honest Baturbiev hurt Johnson and then while he was rushing in to try and get Johnson out of there Johnson lands a sneaky shot and puts him down so Johnson didn't want to do exactly the same thing Baturbiev did and try to finish him and then perhaps walk onto something because Baturbiev's a good fighter he's not a guy that you can just recklessly throw the kitchen sink at and not expect to get countered so quite a clever move at the time for Johnson which obviously ended up backfiring but no one knew that so no one really can blame him for not going crazy in the second round in the third round there was a bad cut sustained on Johnson's right eye Baturbiev was obviously a lot smarter on the inside when the pair were up close and exchanging Baturbiev's real good with his inside work I didn't think Callum was doing too well in that department um, and then obviously in the fourth round Baturbiev landed with a right hand to Johnson's temple that totally scrambled his balance and he simply couldn't get back up to his feet and continue but like I say, what a brave effort. He showed this beast no respect whatsoever. He fought fire with fire. And he did what many boxers wouldn't do, as he took the risk. It almost paid off when he dropped Baturbiev. His stock has rocketed after this fight. He can now be involved in so many big fights in the future. Obviously, Alida Alvarez, Kovalev even, Stevenson. Bring any of these guys on. Or even go back to the domestic scene and fight Anthony Yard. What a set of balls Callum Johnson's got first and foremost, though, I has. He went out there not giving a damn. He had one round against Frank Buglioni. That's his real fight. When you look at his record, he's got a horrendous record. I've got to be honest. He's got a horrendous record. But he obliterated Buglioni. Leone on a, in a round, and on the back of that, he got this 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 shot here, and no one expected him to do well, and he dropped the guy. Credit to Callum Johnson, my type of fighter, big 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 cojones. Credit credit to Callum Johnson. Obviously, a lot of people wrote him off straight away from the fight. I mean, he obviously went as a huge underdog. Obviously, knocked down Arturo Baturbiev, 
I mean, well done to him. He's made it. He's done himself proud. Uh, obviously, I think he's got some big future. I think in the future, he's got some big fights ahead of him. Yeah, well said. And moving down the undercard, um, we had Jesse Vargas, 28-2 and two, with one draw. He took on Thomas Delorme, 24-3. and three. Uh, This one was for the vacant WBC silver welterweight title. Now, this fight here, I said it on last week's show. I said, this is not a given. This is not a given at all for Vargas. I said that it's going to be quite a close fight, and I'd be very surprised if Delorme doesn't give Vargas problems. I said that. Now, the fight itself, I felt that in the very first round, Delorme was giving Vargas hell. He really was. He was he was fighting a punch-perfect round, really. Vargas barely laid a glove on Delorme, so Delorme clearly won the first round. In the second round, Delorme had a brilliant round once again. It wasn't even close. He was completely almost cut from a different cloth, um, um, Delorme. And in the third round, I felt it was quite a close round, but again, I gave that one to Delorme. In the fourth round, it was a very good round. Both men had moments. Vargas probably edged it. And then it kind of just started to slip after those four rounds there. For the next few rounds, Vargas did warm into the fight. I stopped scoring it, though there seemed to be a lot of close rounds. Vargas can get quite rugged, and Delorme isn't really that kind of fighter. When things did get rugged, Vargas would out-tough Delorme. Um, Vargas did drop Delorme in the 10th round with a right hand as Delorme was coming in with his own. Delorme just dropped to his knees, really, and got back up without looking too troubled. But a big 10-8 round, though, you'd feel for Vargas. Then, as the fight went on, it seemed to be slipping away even more from Delorme, who started so well. And then in the 12th round, Delorme landed a right hand to Vargas's chin, to which Vargas fell for a second onto his backside. Um... And he got back up. But Ice, I've written right here. Could that be a big, big point in the fight? There was 10 seconds left in the round. It was a little bit like, kind of like a flush knockdown. He was not hurt at all. He got straight back up. He looked really angry with himself. And then that was a 10-8 round for um, for Delorme. So that 10-8 round kind of wiped out the knockdown that that um that Jesse Vargas got earlier on. So it really was a 10-8 round for Vargas, a 10-8 round for Delorme, and then it leaves 10 other rounds which were up for grabs kind of thing. And then ultimately that 10-8 round in the very last round where Delorme dropped Vargas with a bit of a silly shot. Not a silly shot, it was a good shot, but Vargas shouldn't have really gone down from it. But that 10-8 round cost Vargas the fight. It ended up being a draw, like I say. So um yeah, I'm not quite sure. I mean, Vargas, that's two draws in a row now. Adrian Broner and Thomas Delorme. But like I say, I knew it was going to be a quite a close fight. I knew that the matchmaking was quite brave and bold. When I saw that, I thought, you know what? I don't know who Eddie Hearn's got making these fights, but that's not a great fight. He's not going to shine from, from, from that fight there. He's not going to stop Delorme. Um, you know, we went to the predictions on it, as I mentioned that there. Um, the predictions, I went with Vargas on points, so did the listeners, so did you, Ayaz, but of course we all got it wrong, it ended up being a draw. Uh, moving down the undercard once again, a shout out to Jessica McCaskill, former opponent of Katie Taylor. She went into this bout with a record of 5-2, and two. she took on the champion Erica Farias, who had a record of 26-2. and two. She was the WBC World Female Super Lightweight Champion. McCaskill had to move up in weight with a few days notice, she got in there and won the belt unanimously over 10 two-minute rounds. Big up to Jessica McCaskill now, 6-2, and two, a world champion, not just any world champion, a WBC world champion. Incredible. And the last undercard fight to mention here, um, 
Jarrell Big Baby Miller, 21-0 with one draw, took on Thomas Adamek, 53-5, former light heavyweight and cruiserweight champion of the world, a KO in the second round for Big Baby Miller. Um... I mean, this fight here. I mean, it was it was to be expected. We all thought that it was it would be quite an easy win for for Big Baby. One little fact before I get into this fight here: um, Adamek once in his career, when he was a light heavyweight, he weighed in at one hundred and seventy-four pounds. Big Baby Miller's weight for this fight here, the day before the fight, he was three hundred and seventeen pounds. So if he was 31 pounds more, if he weighed 31 pounds more, which you wouldn't you wouldn't write off him putting that on in between this fight and the next one. If he weighed 31 pounds more, he'd have weighed the same as two Thomas Adamex. That is incredible. But yeah, Miller um, you know, was just walking his man down. It was only a matter of time, like I say. Adamek took a few big shots in the first round. In the second round, he ducked into a right uppercut and it staggered him. And then Miller just let his hands go, but only landed really one of his shots and it was another right uppercut. So two clean uppercuts there in a matter of seconds. Adamek took a knee and he didn't get back up. I don't think he fancied it really. An easy win for Miller. Um, him against Chisora or him against Dillian White would be a good fight. Um, but yeah, that's that's really it for that one there. Moving over now to the final bill. This one was a World Boxing Super Series card that took place in the arena in Kanagawa, Japan. Um, we had Kirill Relic, 22-2. and He put his WBA World Super Lightweight title on the line against Edward Troyanovsky, 27 and 1. That one loss coming to Julius Indongo. Both men can punch, so I expected this one to end inside the distance, but no, it wasn't to be. A unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favor of Kirill Relic. Um, Ken Shiro defended his WBC World Light Flyweight title. His record now 14-0. A TKO in seven rounds against Milan Melindo. His record now 37-4. And, and this one was quite shocking. Naoya Inoue, 16-0, now 17-0. The man that stopped Jamie McDonnell in the first round. He put his WBA World Bantamweight title on the line against former world champion Juan Carlos Payano, 20-1. A first round knockout from Naoya Inoue. Unbelievable. It was a 1-2 down the pipe and it was over in 70 seconds of the first round. Inoue is certainly one to watch. Not even one to watch. He's one to worship. This guy is the real, real deal. Oh my god, they love him in Japan. We love him over here on this show. But that really wraps up the review part of the show. There was a lot to go over. I know, I know. It's now time to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 2012 Olympian and former WBO world title challenger. It's, of course, Mr. Michael Hunter. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Hey, it's always it's my always pleasure, pleasure, Mike. Yes, same from me, my friend. So, Mike, we last spoke back in June. Um, it was just before your fight against Iago Kiladze. Obviously, you went on to knock him out in the fifth round. How was it in there with Kiladze? You became the quickest man to stop him. It was a statement. Yeah, um, you know, that, that was my whole point is, was to make a statement, um, you know, and to let people know that I'm a full-fledged heavyweight. And, uh, you know, so that was, that, that was the whole point. You know, it wasn't just a win, but win in good fashion. And obviously, Kiladze, just the other Sunday, fought against Joe Joyce. I know that it was televised in the U.S. Joe also managed to stop him in five rounds. Did you happen to see the fight? If so, what did you make of it, Mike? Um, no, I did see a little, a few of the clips, but, you know, um, 
you know, that also says a lot about Joe Joyce, obviously. Uh, Kalazi is actually really no pushover. So, I mean, I know he's been, in most of his, in his losses, he's probably been stopped. But, you know, he he has um, he has good skill and stuff. So, yeah. And on to other things, Mike. You've now signed to take on Martin Bacoli, a Congolese fighter that's based in Scotland. Quite unusual, but the fight itself will take place this Saturday at the famous York Hall in London. Tell me, Michael, what do you know about Martin Bacoli? Um, I, I don't really know too much. I didn't really, I haven't really heard of his name until uh, until they uh, called me for the fight. And uh, yeah, like I said, they had called me for the fight and. You know, I, I think they were looking for a, a step up as far as a competition. And, um, yeah, so, you know, when they called me, I, I looked up his, uh, his him on uh, YouTube and I seen him uh, hit the mitts and I uh, seen him working with his trainer. I didn't really get to pick out uh, his fights. But, um, yeah, once I seen that, I seen, you know, his movement and stuff like that. And, you know, I looked at his. I did look at his record and who he fought. So that was uh, that's all I needed to know. And this fight, in my opinion, Mike, is a little bit of a strange one. Obviously, you've both got a lot to lose. From his point of view, he doesn't want to be able to lose to a guy that can make cruiserweight. But he's actually chose to fight you of all people, which is a very, very tough risk for those that know you. And from your point of view, you can't really afford to lose to a guy that's 11-0. Obviously, the other loss came to Usyk. No shame in that. But your record on paper wouldn't look too great with another loss. And I wouldn't dare ask about money or anything like that but I wouldn't imagine that you're being paid life-changing money here so my my question is why did you take this fight yeah that, that's a you got a good point right there um you know uh I'm a fighter you know I, I if anything I would like to f- stay busy you know I, I feel like I'm the best in the world and and uh I can compete with the best in the world so uh, you know, I just want to. I just want to fight and, and keep busy. So uh, when I when they offered me the fight, and you know, it's, it's usually we, you know, I'm from America, so we we don't really have to come out, go out of the country and come to somebody else's hometown. But you know, I just thought that uh, it would do uh, pretty good for my career to uh, to fight over here in London, and uh, you know, I fought here for the Olympics, so just to get my name back out here and. You know, like I said, I'm a fighter. You know, that's what I do. You know, before, you know, I fought fought 150 times for free. So, uh, yeah, it, it makes no difference to me. Now, I know that you've touched down now in the UK. I'm speaking to you from your hotel. When did you get here, Mike? And how was the flight here? What's the hospitality been like since you've arrived here once again? Yeah, I've been here for about three days. Uh, now, uh, the whole time I'm probably going to have about almost um, about a week and a half uh, prior to the fight, and uh, I, I feel like I've adjusted well. You know, you know, it's always a a little difficult, a little difficult when um, traveling to another country just for the climate change and the time change and getting your Cadian rhythm right. But everything is going smoothly, and um, I'm actually really ready. I, I wish the fight was tomorrow. So. 
that, that's a good <laughs> that is a good thing just to clarify this this interview is taking place on monday of fight week now like you say mike you're going to be traveling here for the first time as a professional but due to the fact that you boxed all over the world as an amateur i'm guessing it's something that's not really out of your comfort zone to come over here and fight martin no, no. Like you said, I, I've you know I fought all over the world. Uh, I've been here about four or five times as an amateur, and uh, so now this is my uh, here quite a few times as a pro, but not to compete. But uh, you know, so this this is nothing new to me. Um, I actually enjoy you know traveling and, and, and you know getting to see different uh, styles and you know different cultures and stuff like that. So. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just ready to compete and, um, you know, get that strap. And I want to read you a quote that Billy Nelson, obviously Martin Bacoli's trainer and manager, said um, on Twitter. He said, when Martin Bacoli lands on Hunter's chin, he's going to feel every pound of difference between a cruiserweight and a big heavyweight. Now, aside from that one tweet, Billy Nelson has said on several occasions that his man will stop you on October the 13th. What is your response to this? Uh, a laughter. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I see the, people are confused about me fighting cruiserweight. Most of my fights are at heavyweight, so... Yeah, I was always considered a small heavyweight, but so was Ali, you know. So, um, you know, you gotta you gotta be able to hit me <laughs> before it hurts, you know. So, uh, I think that's where he's gonna have a hard time with uh, is landing something on my chin. So, uh, yeah, that's what I would have to say to that one. And two fights I just want to get your opinion on real quick. Um, Alexander Usyk, your former opponent, takes on Tony Bellew, November the 10th. I wanted to get your opinion on that. And also, um, obviously, a man that you fought in the amateurs, um, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, December the 1st. Who wins both of those fights and how, in your opinion? Um, you know, the, everybody uh, that you named right there is, is a phenomenal athlete and um, a phenomenal fighter, you know. Uh, they they've all had tremendous experience, and you know they're all at the top of their game at this point. Um, it, it's very hard to say who's going to win, you know, uh, that night because there's so many different um, aspects that that come into uh, that come into play um, during the fight. So, but uh, if I had to say for the Bellew and um, Usyk fight, I, I think uh, Usyk will win by unanimous unanimous decision. I don't. I don't see him stopping or hurting uh, Tony Bellew. I also don't see Tony Bellew really catching uh, Usyk um, with any big, big, great shots. Or I mean, if he does, he. I don't. I don't see him stopping him. So I, I think uh, if he gets up, I mean, if he if he gets hurt, you know, Usyk, if he gets dropped or something, I think he'll just get up off the floor. I don't see him knocking him out or anything. But so I think he would win by unanimous decision and for the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder um, man that's that's so such a toss up um, you know uh, Deontay was my stable mate see and that's another thing Deontay people don't know but Deontay was basically the cruiserweight and as, as an amateur and I was the heavyweight um, in the in the amateurs but uh, for the uh, for the fight I'm that's it's such a toss up, you know. Deont um, Deontay has that power; he's more athletic, um, and it might just be the right, w wrong time for Tyson Fury. 
even though I would consider him the better skilled fighter as far as boxing ability. And, um, you know, he's had a lot of experience as well. So uh, I, that, that one's a toss-up. And like I said, it, it's gonna, it, it really depends on that day, you know. So you'll find out. We certainly will find out. Fingers crossed. Um, and finally, finally, Mike, what is your message to Martin McCauley or perhaps to Billy Nelson? And I also want to ask you, how do you win come Saturday night? He says he's going to win by knockout. His man believes that. Do you knock him out? Do you beat him on points? You tell me. Um, well, I don't see me losing this fight in no circumstance. And uh, I'm not sure how I'm, uh, which way and which fashion I'm going to win. But... Uh, if I had to say, I don't think it would go past the sixth round. Uh, but I, I, I just don't see me losing in no form or fashion. So that's what I would be saying. <laughs> okay, listen, Mike, I'd like to wish you the absolute best of luck for Saturday night. I hope to be there. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll certainly catch up sometime after. Thank you, sir. You have a good one, and I appreciate you uh, for joining me on your show every time. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, is the news part of the show. Ayaz, what have you got for us this week? Rocky Fielding will fight Saul Canelo Alvarez at Madison Square Garden for the WBA Super Middleweight title. Yeah, Rocky Fielding puts his belt on the line. Obviously, he won the title, I think it was back in July. He went on the road to Germany. Unbelievable, because he actually took a selfie ringside once, I think, when Canelo was in, I think it was Belfast or something like that, when when one of Canelo's fighters on his own promotional team was fighting Carl Frampton. It was the night where Carl Frampton didn't look too good. And Rocky Fielding took a took a selfie with Canelo. You know, he's a fan of Canelo. And now the fight's on. It's unbelievable. Um, hopefully, we'll be speaking to... Jamie Moore at some point before that fight happens, but yeah, very um, very big, big fight there for Rocky Fielding, obviously you'd have to favour Canelo in that fight, but you know, the fact is Canelo started his career very low in terms of the weights, and he's not even really a big middleweight, even though he's grown into the weight, he's not a big middleweight um, and now seeing him in there against Rocky Fielding, who's quite a big super middle, I think that is a very very good chance for Rocky Fielding to announce himself on that world stage in terms of the American audience, in terms of the Mexican audience, just in terms of a wider audience, really. Um, if he puts up a good effort against Canelo, then his stocks very much rise, but if he gets completely obliterated, which many think he will, then perhaps it's not really worth the payday, but that is the thing. He's taking it, I believe, for the payday, and it's a huge fight, so um, credit to him. It's just a shame because a lot of people now think that we probably won't see you know, a big, big double world title card in Liverpool with Rocky and perhaps Callum or even seeing the pair collide once again. That's probably now not going to happen. Um, there were big, there, you know, there were big fights out there, really. Um, Chris Eubank Jr. against Rocky Fielding, um, James DeGaulle, uh, George Groves. But yeah, he's he's decided to say no to all those and chase the big one with Canelo. So this is Canelo's chance to become, I think it's now a freeweight world champion. Yeah, it is a freeweight world champion. So, um, yeah, credit to Canelo, credit to, to Rocky Fielding, obviously showing a big set of balls. And um, Canelo's kind of chose, in many people's eyes, the weakest champion. So not too great that he's doing that really as the great champion he is. And obviously the, the very interesting thing is that what's going to happen to all those belts that he holds at middleweight, I think he's going to have to relinquish them, which then opens the door for many, many um, fighters coming through at middleweight. So very interesting. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Terms have been agreed for John O'Carroll to face Guillermo Frenois in an IBF final eliminator. 
yeah, I think the winner of that fight fights the winner of James Tennyson and Tevin Farmer, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, good chance there for John O'Carroll, a man that's been improving and improving and improving. He still kept his O intact, and I like the guy. So credit to him, and hopefully he gets a big shot um, after this win here. Um, so, yeah, credit to John Joseph Parker will return on December the 15th, but no opponent has been yet to be named. Yeah, Joseph Parker back in the ring December 15th, like you say, I have no opponent named just yet. Um, you know, he needs a big fight, really. He needs a win. He needs a good win to get back in, you know, in, in the mouths, actually, of the people who talk about the heavyweight division. He needs to be on the tip of everyone's tongue once again. Two losses in a row now, um, arguably three, because people thought that he lost the Huey Fury fight, including me. Um, then, obviously, the Joshua fight, he lost. We know about that. And then um, the, to lose the way he did to Dillian White, many people are going to forget that he nearly had White out of there in that final round. And on paper, you know, he's had three questionable fights and he's lost arguably all three, but certainly two of them. Um, so he needs a big fight. I think he should fight Lucas Brown, to be honest. But, you know, that fight probably won't happen. But, um, yeah, he needs a big name and he needs a big win so that he can get his name up there once again because he's a good guy and I wish him all the best, man. He's a he's a real good guy. Okay. And finally, the last news is that uh, Billy Joe Saunders has been denied a license to fight in Massachusetts. Yes, which now means that his fight with Demetrius Andrade has been cancelled. But Demetrius Andrade will still be fighting on that day. He takes on the guy that was ranked number two in the WBO. So basically, um, to, to clear this one up, um, Billy Joe Saunders, obviously the champion, this was supposed to be a mandatory defense for him. So he was supposed to take on Demetrius Andrade. Demetrius Andrade was number one. And because, obviously, Billy Joe Saunders has... Um, well, he's took something out of competition slash in competition. Depends who you want to talk to. Um, so basically, because of that, he's now not going to be able to fight. Massachusetts have not given him the license. And then apparently because of that, the WBO are going to now comply with them and they're going to strip Billy Joe Saunders. But Billy Joe Saunders, I think he's going to appeal the decision, which means that um, they're going to have to have a hearing about that. And for the meantime, they're going to let Andrade fight for the interim WBO title. But should Billy Joe Saunders' court case not go his way, which many people don't think it will go his way, it's almost certain to not go his way, then the winner of Andrade and the guy he's taking on um, gets elevated to the full title. So um, I hope that's not confusing. But basically, the guy that he's taking on is a guy called Walter Kauton Dokwo, his name is. I believe he's 17-0 and 0 with 16 knockouts. So a puncher there. Obviously a fighter from, I think, the Namibia, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, still still a decent fight. But it kind of has um, took the wind out of the sails of that fight card. Because that was a fight card I was really, really looking forward to. Saunders, Andrade, quality, quality fight. And now that fight won't happen. So, um, yeah, turmoil for Billy Joe Saunders. And Andrade, I mean, it's quite annoying when you've got to prepare your whole camp for a southpaw. And now he's taking on a guy that he probably doesn't know much about. But very shrewd move from Eddie Hearn who actually had the deal signed just in case this were to happen and it has happened so credit to Eddie Hearn smart promoting there and um, all the very best to Andrade obviously a friend of the show hopefully he can become the interim WBO world champion and then be elevated to the full champion yep and that's it for the news Joey 
Thank you very much, Ayaz. Moving over now to the preview part of the show, we're going to talk about this fight that's actually happening in the Bookham Boxing Arena in Accra, Ghana. One fight to mention over here, Ashley Fearfane puts the interim WBO Africa super welterweight title on the line. His record 44-8 and eight with one draw. No opponent just yet. That's a 12-rounder there. Moving over now to Russia. This one is a World Boxing Super Series card over here as well. Zolani Tete, Frank Warren's man, 27-3. and three. He puts his WBO World Bantamweight title on the line against Mikhail Aloyan, who was a real good Russian amateur. His record 4-0 as a pro. That's a very hard fight, though, believe you me. Also on the undercard, we've got Andrew Tabiti. 16 and 0. This is part of the Cruiserweight um, tournament. He takes on Ruslan Faifer, 23 and 0. A couple of other fights on the bill. We've got Vladimir Shishkin, 7 and 0. He puts his WBA Continental Super Middleweight title on the line against Najib Mohammadi, 40 and 6. That's a tough fight there for Shishkin. Uh, moving over now though to York Hall, Bethnal Green, London. This is going to be Saturday night. I think the undercard is on five spike. So if you you know if you've got plans to watch this fight card, then set it up to record five spike for the undercard. Then the main event starts on Channel 5. Um, let's talk about the bill here. We've got Lee McGregor, 4-0. He fights for the vacant Commonwealth Bantamweight title against Thomas Asomba, 8-4. Chantel Cameron, 7-0, defends her IBO World Female Lightweight title against Dahiana Santana, whose record's 36-9. That's 10 two-minute rounds there. Chris Billum-Smith, 6-0. He steps up against Robin Dupree, 13-1. That's a 10-rounder there. Dupree's only loss came to Luke the Duke Watkins. That'd be a good fight. Louis Adol- 8-1, a guy that was, you know, around boxing for a while, then he disappeared for a long time, then he came back, I think he, he, he did a V-sign to some of the fans when he got disqualified on the undercard of Jamie Cox and George Groves in the World Boxing Super Series, he's back, <laughs> he takes on journeyman favourite William Warburton, 26 wins, 142 losses and 10 draws, we also have journeyman Kevin McCauley, 15 wins, 176 losses and 12 draws, he takes on Lenny Fuller, who's only 2-0. and And he tell you what, he better be full of some good stuff to win after just having two professional fights. That's a four-round contest there. Um, and the main event here, Martin Ilunga Bacoli. His record 11-0. and He fights for the vacant IBO Intercontinental Heavyweight title against friend of the show 14-1, and Michael the Bounty Hunter. That's a 10-round contest there. Um... Brilliant, brilliant fight that one I has. Obviously, Martin Bacoli, a man that's been talked up as this, you know, this absolute star. He's been sparring with the likes of Anthony Joshua and various others. Um, he's been handling a lot of guys in sparring from what I've heard. I think he even did some rounds with Daniel Dubois. Um, how do you see this fight playing out? A heavyweight scrap on Channel 5 that I cannot wait to watch. Um, to be fair, I don't really know much about them. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Michael Hunter. I'm going to go with a knockout. Okay, Michael Hunter by knockout. I'm going to go Michael Hunter on points, but the listeners going with Bacoli by knockout here, um, very big actually, 70% going with Bacoli by knockout. Um, that's really it for that card there. Obviously, Michael Hunter, a real a real good boxer, actually. For those that haven't watched him, go check him out. Real good boxer. Moving over now to the Metro Radio Arena in Newcastle, Tyne & Ware, United Kingdom. Let's start with Lewis Ritson, 17-0 as He fights for the EBU European lightweight title against Francesco Patera, 19-3. Patera's never been stopped. Three losses, one K. 
came to Sean Masher Dodd. Um, like I say, Ritson, if he wins this, then in one year, in one calendar year, well, just in 2018 alone, he would have defended successfully his British title three times, then moved on to the European level. And if he wins this, then he would have become a European champion as well as those three defences. All in 2018, which is quite remarkable. A very special fighter is Mr. Lewis Ritz and I. How do you see this fight playing out between him and Patera? I think it's a very good fight. Obviously, a lot of people say Lewis Ritz with the, his knockout power. Um, Patera, I don't know really much about him, but if I'm going to go with a winner, I'm going to go with Lewis Ritson, the home fan. I'm going to go with him for a knockout. Yeah, 89% of the listeners going with Ritson by knockout also. I tell you what, though, I'm going to go against the grain here. I may regret this, but I think Ritson's going to win on points simply because Ritson, even though I think he's coming off about six or seven stoppages in a row, Patera's never been stopped, and Ritson, you know, he's beaten these guys, but these guys were... Well, they're kind of British level at a push. I think Patera's a decent-ish fighter. Obviously, you know, Sean Mashadod fought out of his skin when he beat him. But, um, yeah, I think he's quite tough. And I think Ritson, even though he's improved so much, I think he's not as powerful as many people that have just tuned into his career believe he is. So I'm going to be quite bold there and go with a win on points there for Lewis Ritson, the home fighter, as you mentioned. Moving down this bill, we have Glenn Foote, 23-3. and He takes on Robbie Davies Jr., 16-1. and That's a brilliant fight. That's a 12-round contest. It's for the vacant British super lightweight title and also the Commonwealth super lightweight title. The Commonwealth title at the moment belongs to Glenn Foote. Brilliant fight iron. Once again, a lot of people having this as a 50-50 fight. How do you see it? Glenn Foot, Robbie Davies Jr. I'll go with Robbie Davies Jr. on points. Robbie Davies Jr. on points. Okay, the listeners have gone with Robbie Davies by knockout. But I tell you what, they went with every single thing. So Robbie Davies by knockout, Robbie Davies on points was 29%. Davies by knockout, 43%. Uh, foot by knockout, 14%. Foot on points, 14%. Um, I'm going to go with Robbie Davies Jr. to win on points. I think I'm going to agree with you there, Ayaz. Um Really good fight, though. That's got the makings of a fantastic fight, Um Glenn Foote is saying that Robbie Davies hasn't really fought anyone, and the one guy that he fought that was any good he got knocked out against. I think he failed to mention that they had a rematch, and then Robbie Davies Jr. knocked him out, but it is what it is. Uh, moving down the undercard once again, a good fight here. Simon Valili, 13-1 and one with one draw. He takes on Craig Glover, who's 8-1. and one. That's a 10-rounder there. Dave Allen, 14-4 and four with two draws. We didn't go to the prediction league on this, but he's taking on a guy. I know he's been joking, saying, oh yeah, I'm going to fight a you know a, a Polish plumber or whatever he says. He's taken on a guy here called Samir Nebo, who's 10-2 and two with one draw. And Samir Nebo, all 10 of his wins have come by knockout. All two of his losses have come by knockout. So none of his fights have gone the distance aside from the draw that he had, which I think was in like his second or third pro fight. He was a four-rounder. So aside from that, all of his fights have ended early. He's never been, um, he's never been the distance aside from that one four-rounder. And Dave Allen, obviously a real tough character. So I'm expecting this to be quite a tough fight. And I tell you what, I'm going to go on record and say, I reckon this guy's going to give Dave Allen something to think about. I reckon Dave Allen might win... He might knock him out late, or he might perhaps win on points, but I think Dave Allen's going to have a scare along the way. 
That's what I'm going to say. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're not listening, Dave, because you're a great friend of the show, good friend of mine. But I think it's not going to be such an easy fight. And I hope he doesn't overlook this guy who clearly can bang, despite not being in there with the level of opposition that um, that Dave Allen's fought, obviously. Thomas Patrick Ward, 24-0. His opponent yet to be announced. That's a six-rounder there. Hosea Burton, 21-1. and His opponent yet to be announced. That's a six-rounder there. Um, we have... Anthony Fowler, 7-0. and oh, He's in an eight-rounder against Gabor Gorbix. We've seen him many, many times. He's been in there with the likes of um, Asinia Byfield. He's been in there with Kerman Leharaga. He's been in there with Liam Williams. Um, so, yeah, that's a fight there for, for Anthony Fowler over eight rounds. Uh, Josh Boazzi, 7-0, and oh, puts his WBA international light heavyweight title on the line against Tony Avalanche. His record, 26-10 and 10 with two draws. Where have you heard that name before, Tony Avalanche? I'll tell you where. In his last fight he retired on his store after seven rounds against Anthony Yard it's time to get the measuring stick out here Buatzi and Yard who is better who can get the better um, the better result with Tony Avalant who's not a big puncher but quite a tough tough guy he also went the distance with Dominic Bozell who's now I believe the um, I think he's now the the uh, the EBU European champion so not a bad fight that not a bad step up that for Josh Buatzi moving over now though to the final bill to mention it's happening in Omaha, Nebraska at the CHI Health Center in USA. It's going to be on ESPN. It's also going to be on Box Nation, obviously a late start Saturday night slash Sunday evening. We've got Shakur Stevenson, 8-0. He is in a 10-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced, and he's also fighting for the vacant WBC Continental America's featherweight title. Very interesting there. They're going to be pushing... um, Shakur Stevenson up the WBC featherweight rankings, which obviously the champion at the moment is Gary Russell Jr. Um, Carlos Adamez, his record 14 and oh, he's the guy with about 50 siblings. He's in a 10 rounder against Joshua Conley, who's 14 and two with one draw. That one's for the vacant NABF super welterweight title. And then the main event, obviously a 12 round contest for the WBO world welterweight title. Terence Crawford, 33 and oh, he takes on Jose Benavidez Jr., 27 and oh. Jose Benavidez, obviously the brother of David Benavidez. Both men have never lost in a Pro ring. I don't even think either man has actually lost in the amateurs. I know David Benavidez never lost a fight in the amateurs, never lost a fight in the pros. And Jose Benavidez Jr. here, certainly undefeated in the pros. I'm not quite sure about the amateur background. Both men don't know how to lose in a professional ring or as, but the fact is... Crawford's been at that level for a long, long time now, even though he's now up at 147. Um, you know, you'd, you'd have to say there's probably a difference between Crawford's experience and the experience of Benavidez. Obviously, Benavidez hasn't been in there with the names that Crawford has. He hasn't won a legitimate world title. And Benavidez, one thing I should mention, has wanted this Crawford fight for a long, long, long time, by the way. He's accused Crawford of ducking him for a long time, and he finally gets his chance here this Saturday. What's going to happen? Who wins and how? Um, obviously, this is a very good fight. Crawford and Benavides. Obviously, Crawford's the bigger name. Uh, a lot of people know him. Obviously, he's um, he's got he's won his last fight against Jeff Ford. But if I'm going to go with him, I'm going to go with Crawford by knockout. Okay, and I must say, the listeners have also gone with Crawford by knockout. Um, very, very bold of you both. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Terence Crawford um, on points actually. 
which means that I think all four of my picks have all been points. I think Crawford wins on points. I think, obviously, you know, this is going to be his second fight at 147. Um, that first fight that he had with Jeff Horner, I think, is quite a tough guy. He went nine rounds with him. But Jose Benavidez Jr. is a very tall guy, six foot two, humongous for the welterweight limit. Um, he's put together a good string of wins himself. He's coming off of two knockouts. His last knockout, he took a guy's O, who was 22-0. and 0. He beat him in the first round. He did have a very, very padded record, Frank Rojas. But the way that this guy dealt with him in a round was completely disrespectful. And I think that he is going to go at Crawford. And he perhaps could make Crawford think about one or two things. But um, Crawford obviously... You know, if he does get into his groove and he does find his accuracy and the the size isn't such a problem, then I think that it's a Crawford fight. I think it's a Crawford fight to lose anyway. You know, you, you can't say that Benavidez is on world level until he proves it, and he hasn't. But for me, I think Crawford may have some issues, and I think that if he were to stop this guy, then that's that's just an unbelievable statement. Um, a very big statement. I really do. I want to see Crawford ultimately take on Errol Spence Jr., so... Um, you know, I think he's going to win this fight. I hope he wins this fight, to be honest, so that we get to see that fight down the line because this would really throw a spanner in the works if Benavidez were to win. But he's very, very confident. He's wanted the fight for a long time. He truly believes that Terence Crawford's been ducking him. And obviously, we're going to see how good Benavidez really is. But if he's anything like his older brother in terms of his style, which he is to a certain degree, then it should make for a good fight, even against Terence Crawford, who can nullify any man's attacks that he's been in there with. No man can have it their way with Crawford, but can this man be the first man to do so? He certainly believes so. We'll have to wait and see. A fantastic fight. I'm very, very much looking forward to it. But that's really it for the preview part of the show. We brought you the news. We brought you the review. We brought you guest number one. We brought you the preview in. We're just about to wrap up the show, but there is one last thing to do. That is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the new WBO European Super Featherweight Champion. It's, of course, Mr. Archie Sharp. Archie, welcome back on the show, my man. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's always my pleasure. Arch, how does it feel? That's how I'm going to start. How does it feel to become the new WBO European champ? Yeah, man, I'm over the moon, mate. Um... It's still ain't sunk in just yet, but yeah, I'm over the moon. And obviously, people said that your fight kind of saved the show in many ways. Um, some people were even going as far to say that it could have been fight of the year. I know it can sound like a bit of a silly question, but did you enjoy the fight, Arch? Yeah, mate. Do you know what? I did enjoy the fight, as it goes. I had, um, I, I really enjoyed myself up there, to be honest with you. And I, I'm just glad to be walking away with a good result. And in the very first round, you were able to drop Leon with, with what looked like a jab. Were you shocked when he, when he went down after that shot? Um, yeah, because, um, yeah, like I say, I, I caught him with a good shot and he went down. I didn't expect it, but, uh, do you know what I mean? When do you expect him to go? So, no, it was good, mate. Do you know what I mean? It was a good shot, um, landing straight on the button and he went down. And many people believed, going into the fight, that Leon was the much bigger puncher in there. It didn't really look that way when I saw the fight myself. What was his power like, Arch? Listen, I was told about the man's power. Um, look, I've trained myself. I mean, I've put myself in good in, in good shape. I had good sparring with Ricky Burns, Joe Cortina, Martin Ward, um, Luke Campbell, Michael Conlon. And they are—they're good fighters, and they can throw a shot. Do you know what I mean? And not—not not once was I ever in that fight with Leon did I feel under pressure, or I thought that his punching was too much. 
Um, I felt I was in control, even on the ropes when he was throwing shots and working away. There was nothing there that fazed me or thought, do you know what I mean? That there, there, was a, there was a punch here that could do any damage. And you also went 10 rounds for the very first time in your career. The fight was a very fast-paced fight, Arch. Um, I, can't really yeah. blame, I can't really blame either of you for being a little bit tired in the 10th round, but you were definitely fresher in my eyes at that point. But from your point of view, being honest, how comfortable did you do the 10 for the very first time? Do you know what? Like, like, like listen, in there, I was in a tough... There was a 10-round fight, like you say, do you know what I mean? So you're going to both be working hard and you're both going to be blowing... And more so for me because I was using my feet and I was dancing around. I was on the back foot. I was coming forward. And, do you know what I mean? So, listen, I felt comfortable. I felt good. Um, I had a load of energy. I felt, I felt, I felt, well, I'm trying to sit back now and think about it, like how I was when I come back to the corners and that. But there was nothing. I didn't feel like I was blowing. I, I managed to get my heart rate back down and, and feel fresh for every round. And what was your favourite part of the fight, Arch? Was it dropping him in the first round? Was it that moment where, you know, he threw a shot after the bell and you kind of um, went back and <laughs> that, was a, that was a brilliant yeah. moment, by the way. What was your favourite moment? <laughs> yeah, obviously dropping, dropping him in the first and getting a 10-8 round was obviously the highlight of it. But even even I was as far as saying is like in the ninth and the 10th, and I think it might have been in the 8th when we just started, I started slugging some shots in I enjoy a fight, do you know what I mean? People want to say about my chin and about my heart, I think I proved it. got plenty of art. And I gave Leon maybe two or three rounds at an absolute push. Carl Frampton only gave him one round. Have you watched it back? And if so, how have you scored it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Listen, I see Frampton only giving one round. I watched the fight back myself. I think I won by, I think I won by about five rounds. A couple of draws in there. Um, same with me, really, mate. I thought I won it by about five. And how happy are you, Archie, to finally get that big-time TV exposure? As you know, I've been saying for ages how good you are, but not many people believed me. Now they do. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, like I said to everyone before, I haven't had my, I haven't had my time to shine, um, and it, that was my time. We couldn't have come at a better time. I, said, I think we've done, we done an interview the week or two before, and I said to you then, I said, look, my time will come. Um, ESPN, do you know what I mean? Like good, good TV shot on BT Sport. Uh, basically, do you know what I mean? Basically, main event after Jack and um, Catchall and Howard Davis. So, and then I did shine. Do you know what I mean? My time come and I shone. So, at the end of the day, um, it's just a matter of time. And it took me three years, but I'm here and I'm here to stay. And all the trash talking in the build-up from Leon's team, especially um, mainly his trainer as well. Whereas you and yeah. your trainer kept it very professional, and you, the way that you dealt with Leon in his backyard, taking his O, taking his title, I can't think of a more perfect way to humble him. Well, the thing is, like the thing is with me, like I'm a very respectful person, and I'm a good sportsman. Do you know what I mean? I show good sportsmanship. At the end of the day, when you want to trash talk me and I come to your backyard and you think you can intimidate me with a few people or whatever, however you want to talk about it, then it's not a problem. Because like I say, like you said just then, I've gone to his backyard, took the man's title in his backyard in front of all of his fans. So hopefully, yeah, he gets some humble pie now. So, um, yeah, we'll go for the Do you know what I mean? There won't be much of him at the minute. And obviously, you've 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 done an interview since the fight, and you've basically flat out refused a rematch with Leon. What are your reasons behind that, Arch? Yeah, look, the thing is, 
it hasn't even been mentioned. Their team hasn't really mentioned it. Obviously, a couple of people did say to me, Bunty, and that said about a rematch. But at the end of the day, if you come to... I'm the W... I've now won. There's no point going backwards. And like you say, I won by five rounds, if not more. Um, and I've done it in his hometown. There's no reason to have the rematch. Do you know what I mean? All right, yeah, it was a good fight. But if he come to London and there was a 50-50 fight and whatever else, then that much, do you know what I mean? And maybe that could have been on the cards. But listen... The way that he's dealt with it, his attitude and the things he said, I think he's even mentioned things about my family and my the missus on his Instagram at the time, building up to the fight, trying to get under my skin. So at the end of the day, the man doesn't deserve a rematch. I think he's a fool. I think his trainers are fools. The way that they approached me uh, during that fight, they, un- they didn't give me. They didn't show no respect. Um, there's there's ways of building a fight and things like that. But when you want to get personal and start wanting to do things like that, then obviously. Listen, the man's finished. I've dealt with him now. He's done with. He, he, I won't be boxing him anytime soon. And it's very early yet, Arch, obviously. But is there anyone that you've got your eye on for the future? Obviously, there's a lot of names in your way. James Tennyson, perhaps at the top of the pack, fighting for a world title soon. But aside from those guys at the very top, is there anyone kind of, um, you know, a little bit down the pecking order that you've got your eye on? Like, you know, Martin J. Walder, Sam Bowen, Azelfa Barrett, Ronnie Clark, anyone like that at all? No, there's no, listen, there's no names at the minute. Like I say, let's see these fighters here, the names you mentioned. Um, they're older than me and whatever else. They're 26, 27, so I'm only 23. I've got a few things to work on. I've looked back at that my performance. Yes, it was a good performance. And yes, I got the decision that we wanted. Uh, but there's a few things for me to work on. Uh, I can still build and build at the weight. I'm making the weight very easy at the minute. So there's things I can work on. Um, so yeah, so like I said, I'll sit back with my team. There's no names to be called out. There's no names that we're looking at. Um, I'm just gonna go back, work on what I've got to work on, sit down with my team, and just go from there and see and see what see what the future holds. Very well said. And lastly, Archie, is there anything that that you want to say at all just before we let you go? Anything at all that you want to say? Well, obviously, I would want to start by saying a massive, massive, massive thank you to the fans. Um, who come up to Leicester? Uh, they we shocked Leicester really because we come up there. We, I told you before, and I said it plenty of times that it will be like London up there. And I and I and I think I can say that it basically was. Do you know what I mean? It was a great, great crowd up there. Um, the support's been unreal. My sponsorship's been unreal. Um, like Gary Knoll, Duncan, for MTK. I've got to thank and Frank Warren, of course, for making these fights happen. Um, my mind coach Linda Keane has played a big part in this um, as we did go to his own backyard there was a lot of pressure there was, I was the underdog and having my mind coach and basically being mentally strong for the fight was a big was a big, um, big point so yeah just want to say thanks to everyone who's basically been making this happen obviously my trainers my corner men do you know what I mean my trainer Richie and my corner men they were very good Mark Rowe my cuts Archie Dublin also so, yeah, and pull my nutritionist, called my nutrition. Like I say, I'm getting bigger and bigger every fight now. Uh, yeah, just thanks to all the team and everyone who's helping out. Excellent stuff, Arch. And just from myself, I mean, I'm so happy that finally everyone realises how good you are. Hopefully now all of your future fights are going to be on TV. But the only bad thing is now the cat's out the bag. You're not a secret anymore. Opponents now know how good you are, Arch. They're going to have to think twice. <laughs> well, yeah, that that is true. But like I said to you, I've looked. I've looked back on the performance, and yeah, like I say, it was a good performance, and I'm, and we got the win. Um, 
but listeners, believe me, there's a, there's a lot of things for me to work on, and I will work on. And then they, there was even things in there that I didn't even do, which I normally do. Do you know what I mean? A lot more feints I should like, I, I do my two phase attacks. Um, there's a lot of things there that there wasn't the whole Archie Sharp there, but no, it was it was a good performance, and I'm pleased. Well, listen, like I say, Archie, it's always my pleasure getting you on the show. Congrats once again on the win and the way that you did it. It was truly unbelievable. Thank you for your time and see you at Nando's next week. Yeah, see you at Nando's. And like I say, thanks very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, and this wraps up episode 156 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the new WBO European champion, Mr. Archie Sharp, and the Olympian and former world title challenger, Mr. Michael Hunter. Good luck to him this Saturday. The Prediction League has been shuffled around due to our picks last weekend. I got four predictions right, so that's four points for me. I has got three right, and you, the listeners, got two right. Right. That now means that Ayaz is at the back in terms of um, how the league is. He's on 61 points, and I've come from behind like Diego Corrales. I'm now joined in first place with you, the listeners. We're both on 62 points. It is close. There's another four points up for grabs this weekend. Best of luck, people, with that. Enjoy your weekends. Thank you all for listening, and we shall see you all next week. <laughs>